So you were you were like the last safety person to not have his own podcast. When are you going to get your own podcast? I don't need one. I I have you, Todd. <laughs> you always have me. That's for sure. That is totally frozen. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am Todd Conklin, your host. Yes, we share this duty. It floats around that you have to host next week. So be ready. I'll bring a dessert. Does that sound good? Does that sound complete enough? Um, how's your week going? So this was um these weeks are I don't it's so funny. I get into these and I don't know what to say. Uh we're normalizing to chronic anxiety. And this is what normalizing to chronic anxiety feels like. It feels like this. This is what risk homeostasis feels like. It feels like this. So we're in the midst of a, of a uncertain event, a global uncertain event, with psychological health and operational tragedies, uh, outcomes, uh, disruptions. And we've been in it for a long time. And this is what it feels like to be under just chronic anxiety, chronic stress. And it's starting to have its, um, I don't know if you're feeling it, but it's starting to have a little edge. It's starting to manifest itself in ways that I did. Like, like for instance, this week, I had a day where I was just pissed off pretty much all day long. I kind of woke up that way. It didn't get better. It got worse. And towards the end of the day, I, I had to kind of stop communicating with people because everything that happened made me feel angry like airport angry 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 and i had to think about that because you have to think about well what's going on here right i mean the whole the whole notion of of surviving and thriving this kind of crises is the ability to maintain and then eventually sustain new knowledge, new understanding, new health, new wellness, new fitness. That's really important. And, uh, and, and this chronic stress we're under, this chronic anxiety, this chronic uncertainty, maybe that's a better word for it, that starts to really play into the game. And you're seeing it. I mean, you're seeing it manifest in many, many different ways. And we should talk about it. And I think we're going to. So there's some stuff coming up um, that I think you'll find interesting. I really want to pull some strings on a couple of issues that I'm pretty fixated on right now. But most importantly, I'm mostly fixated on how are you? So how's everything? What's, what's manifesting in your life? How's everything going? Because now we're at a point where, um, we're, we're in this, we're in this paradox. We can operate or we can be healthy. And it seems like we have to choose one or the other. But in fact, we have to choose them both. And so two ideas must coexist at the same time in our brain. And sometimes that makes us tired. And I guess for me, cranky, at least on one day, on Tuesday of this week, crankiness ensued. But that's a part of the journey that I think we should be really aware of, try to understand, analyze, and learn from. I guess not, I don't want to sound sappy. I don't mean this in a sappy way. I got plenty of sappy in me, but no, I, I think that's, that's really interesting. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with today's podcast. 
So I wanted to check in with uh, with Dr. Pup, with Ivan Puppaliti, just because I wanted to just see where he was. Because I had not, even though we're really close together in uh, location, we're social distancing, and I had not really seen him other than like an occasional Zoom connect, which uh, is interesting. I'm not sure how satisfying. Although, I must tell you, we've been playing Zoom match game, and uh, Mark Yeston has been the Gene Rayburn. He's been the host, and that has actually been very uh, good. But anytime you can you know, answer questions like uh, silly Saudi says when she, every time she bends over, one of her blanks pops out, those kind of questions. Um, you know, it's pretty fun. You can, you can get away with that pretty well, but I want to talk, (laughs) I want, I'm digressing. I think I wanted to talk to Ivan and I just wanted to see where his head was because he's, he's looking at the world from a different vantage point now. Um, especially as a, as a distance learning professor in uh, the UAB masters of safety program that he works in. And so the, the distance learning part to him was not a change at all. But I was curious if what they were learning was changing and kind of what he was thinking about and, and where he was going with those ideas. And so uh, I called Ivan and said, hey, let's do a pod because I think that would be worthwhile. And that's what you're about to enjoy. So let me not belabor this much longer. Everything on this end is well, healthy, happy, um, busy. The new book, thank you so much, is uh, is doing, uh, it's getting a lot of really great accolades and comments from you guys, and that is uh, not unnoticed and super appreciated. I think the timing for this book must have been a lot better than I thought it was. I, I just think this is a great example of me thinking the book was about one thing and everybody reading it thinking it's about another thing. Which, if you've written books, ask Sidney Decker or anybody, um, that happens pretty much all the time. So that's not that unusual or surprising, but this one kind of caught me by surprise because I really was thinking about FSIs and serious catastrophic loss. I wasn't really thinking about the COVID-19 thing, but the COVID-19 thing seems to play pretty nicely into this idea. And I'm definitely watching it at a, at a sort of at a global level with what's going on geopolitically. Um, we really do have two choices. We can take, sort of a retributive approach to this or restorative approach to this. And it really is a decision. It, it's, it's a decision that's made at the uh, senior most levels and the outcomes are profoundly different. So that's something to look forward to as well. If you get a chance, pick it up and see what you think. I'd be curious to get your feedback and, uh, and pass it along if you want to. Uh, that's always, you can do that anytime you want to. And, until then though, let me shut up and put Ivan on uh, the line. This is a, little conversation Ivan and I are talking about really our world in COVID-19 well let me let me start with saying this you know I I teach a a master's course in crisis leadership and part of that is doing business impact analyses and teaching the folks the pros and cons of business impact analysis and I don't think I could have had a better case study drop into my lap in the middle of the semester than this one. So I literally retooled the entire course, did away with all of the online questions that we normally have, and focused everybody into teams to take a look at how this crisis was affecting them. And what emerged out of that was really quite amazing. In fact, I shared it with uh, with Najbadeen Mishkadi and 
Carleen Roberts this morning on another call. And uh, what we did was we used the learning review mapping function, the uh, network of influences mapping, and the students literally took a look at how this thing was unfolding for each company, what the influences were, what the impacts were, and what the organizational reactions were. And the maps that they created were absolutely fascinating. I mean, really, really incredible. And it's led to some fantastic individual research projects. So each student has to do a capstone at the end of the uh, semester or at the end of their, their school, um, their time with us in their master's program. So they're, they're capstone projects. And 11 of them have gravitated to working with me on capstones. And five of those are related to coronavirus. What are they learning? What I mean, this must be incredibly interesting. What's coming out of this? Oh, Todd, it's it's phenomenal. So two two of the folks are from Nigeria, and of course they were affected by Ebola back when the Ebola crisis happened, and they have family members who are significantly affected. And those two students want to focus on what can be learned and what has been learned from Ebola and how it would apply to this particular situation. So what they're doing is they're looking at how the World Health Organization, how countries, uh, including Nigeria, reacted to Ebola, what kind of precautions and measures they put in place, and then they're moving that into how that helped to prepare their nations and even the United States for the coronavirus. So it's, it's kind of interesting because one of the big questions that, that was teased out in dialogues with them was can we really learn with, in the absence of some horrific event? Like can humans learn without experiencing something terrible. Earth-shattering, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, because most of the time we we have a tendency to just kind of normalize the risks associated with work and associated with normal life, and it doesn't really bother us. And it takes something like this to really open our eyes to the sensitivities that exist and vulnerabilities that exist inside the system. So those are are two interesting projects. Um, Other students are a little bit more concerned with um, how – our risk management processes fail us, right? So what are the shortcomings of things like business impact analysis and business continuity plans? What are the shortcomings of those? Are we limited in our ability to predict because the system is complex or are we limited in our ability to predict because of our unwillingness to admit that we have these vulnerabilities? So it kind of shakes up the holes in the Swiss cheese model a little bit because You know, retroactively, it's really easy to find those holes, but proactively, these students have noticed it's really hard to see them. And this this event, this pandemic has really pointed out that holes in the Swiss cheese are hard to see until you cut into the cheese and you look at the holes. So uh, it's it's some really super, super interesting uh, uh, projects that are emerging out of it. What are you learning from it? I mean, what do you what are you taking out of this? What's in your mind? You know, <laughs> well, because you just talked to Nodge and Carlene this morning, so you must be, I mean, the skids must be greased. The skids are greased. And I, I think that everybody is kind of, everybody's kind of beginning to embrace a lot of the stuff that you and I have said for a really long time, which is that beyond the prediction piece, being able to be fully prepared for an adverse outcome event, um, directly isn't isn't really plausible but what is plausible is building the capacity within the system to absorb disruption now it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna remain to be seen whether 
we can come back to normal. I don't think that that's possible. I, I honestly think that we're going to have a new normal and that new normal is going to involve some things that are major shifts in culture. You know, we look at, um, we look at different cultures in different ways. So shaking hands, raising hands and to show that we're not armed, uh, bowing, all of these different things, these different cultural norms about greeting and about showing our deference to one another and our, um, our kinship with other people. I think those things are going to change. I think the idea of handshaking, it may go by the boards. That may be a thing of the past. It's going to be interesting to see how long the mask thing lasts. I mean, looking at, looking at the turmoil that's taking place inside the country right now is it's disturbing to say the least. How do you feel about PPE being politicized like that? I, I'm, I'm really thinking about that a lot right now. Well, I am, I'm troubled that it's politicized. I'm very troubled by that. I think it's not a political issue. It's never been a political issue. And to politicize something that is basically a public health issue um, is reprehensible. And I don't care which, which side is doing it. It doesn't matter which side is doing it. I think both sides to some degree are doing it, but certainly the idea of saying, I'm not going to wear a mask in an area where other people are wearing masks is, is a bit selfish, right? Yeah. It's not because of the fears of others. That's not why I'm wearing a mask. I'm not wearing a mask because of the fear of others. I'm really literally wearing a mask because of respect of others. And I think that, that maybe that's the thing that's been forgotten for, for some time societally. Maybe we've moved into this, rapid pace, get everything done, get her done no matter what, ends justifies the means, make it all happen quickly, efficiently. Maybe we've bent the needle so far toward the efficiency side that we've forgotten about that basic respect of others. And that's really what this is. I mean, wearing a mask is just simply respecting somebody else. And and if it's for their peace of mind, what what is that in terms of my, what am I giving up? to give somebody else peace of mind and why in the world would I ever be unwilling to do so and to, to tie it to my constitutional right or freedom? Well, that's, that's a big, that's a big leap for me. I, I, I just think that courtesy is something that we, that maybe we've seen lacking. I mean, I can remember my parents and you could probably remember your parents or you could talk to your parents. I can't talk with mine any longer, but you could probably remember stories about, I remember when I was a kid, kids would open doors, they would take off their hats and they would greet people. And they would, we had a different level of courtesy and that social contract has changed over time. Um, and anybody who's been to Costco when they were still serving little food samples will identify with this as the kids will push the, push the adults out of the way to grab the sample. That didn't happen years ago. So what's happened to our ability to relate to one another and to respect the space of others, I think is, has been a natural drift over time. And I think that that drift is much like the safety drift, right, is toward efficiency. That's so, so interesting. I, I think these things are really tied together. What should we be thinking about? What should we be learning in the midst of COVID-19? What, what surprised you? What, what do you find super interesting? Well, one thing is, I think, back to the courtesy thing, I think that we need to, we need to reinvigorate our willingness to be courteous to others, whether that's when we're driving or whether we're 
whether we're in, in close proximity in a store to one another, we have to understand that. We've been creating more and more people. I mean, I think it's probably the, the thing that we will not stop doing is creating more and more people, which means that population densities are going to increase more and more. And it doesn't take much to affect those populations with a disease like, like this one, a virus like this one, to level that playing field. But maybe it's a wake-up call. Maybe it's, it's the mother nature kind of taking and shaking us. So my big takeaway, my big learning from this was being able to see fish in Venice in the canals, looking at a 17% reduction in pollution in China since the, since the virus outbreak, looking at worldwide reductions in pollution. There's no denying man's impact on this planet and if we're going to continue to increase the population, we have to start learning to coexist with that environment. The happiest thing about it for me is I think that there's a realization on a lot of different companies' parts that people can work at home and be very productive. That'll reduce fossil fuel emission, emissions. That'll reduce the demands placed on our, our commuting networks. That'll reduce the, pop, the, the pollution aspects overall. And I think it'll also reduce some of the rage that we have, because I think a lot of the, the anger that we have is around a, an artificial constraint, time, getting to work on time, leaving late, having to make it up while we're driving. And it just contributes to this drift away from, uh, away from being socially responsible to one another. So I think, again, all these things are really closely related to, to get to each other. And I, that's my big takeaway is, is that it's time for us now to realize that we share this planet with each other and we share this planet with other species of animal and plants. And we've got to make space for that. And we've got to take time to make space for that. It's kind of like the Sunday morning uh, CBS show that always ends with a moment of nature. That moment of nature can't be long enough for me. It's a moment to reflect. And I think that perhaps this mindfulness culture that's been kind of eating its way into our, into our psyches over the years, maybe the mindfulness cultures are finally in the right place to take hold. We've tried in a bunch of different, different ways to do it. We tried in the forest service with the fire community. It had a limited, um, little bit limited stickiness, but I think now, we have to we have to start to see the importance of that being mindful of our of our place in our society local in our society global and and finding our place overall as human beings on the planet what is our responsibility it's kind of the tragedy of the commons that we've been living and i'm i'm just hoping that it doesn't take a mass extinction event to uh, to make us learn this lesson Oh, let's hope not. I mean, yeah, I'm hoping that this is my first pandemic, but I'm hoping it doesn't go all the way to mass extinction. It could. How do you think this will change the university? So from my perspective, it doesn't change at all because I'm in an online program. But talking with Naj this morning, we're looking at, at huge deficits in these universities, even though that seems so uh, out of the realm of understanding for me. I mean, how could how could a university be millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in debt? It doesn't make sense. 
with all the different sources of funding that they have. Um, so I, I, that was a surprise to me. And seeing and hearing, you know, from Naj that USC is suffering under under a financial burden like this, and that they're looking at rolling layoffs and and probably letting a lot of people go, and there's hiring freezes in universities. It doesn't seem to me like the demand for knowledge has gone down. The demand for knowledge seems to have gone up, at least in our program. So our program is completely online, and and it seems to be growing. And it's it's strange. It was a real shock for me to see that other university programs weren't doing that. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's a, a kind of a parochial view of what education is. You know, maybe we felt like education has always been transactional, and that the professor's job has been to somehow imbue the students with knowledge. And certainly my undergraduate was like that. I mean, it was, you sit in a lecture room and, and you get lectured too. The sage on the stage. That's what they call it. The sage. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. And although I, I, when I think about my, my most memorable learning experiences, it, it wasn't that, right? It wasn't the sage on the stage. It was the person that asked probative questions that, put the students in a position where the students had to learn themselves. Um, so maybe, maybe a movement, maybe this is heralding a movement toward more of a, an open learning environment where learners are respected as being the important people in the room, not necessarily the state, the sage on the stage, like you said, but the learners themselves become the important persons in the, in the program. And I know that I've done that with the class that I have at, uh, at UAB, and it's, it's been so successful that a number of students have gravitated to, to me to do capstone pro projects with them. I have 11 capstone students this summer, all new. Um, maybe putting them in that position where the learning is their responsibility and then just coaching them, seeing that the teacher or the professor is more the coach as opposed to the person who somehow is imbued with all knowledge and can transmit it gracefully and wonderfully to the students. Now that's, that's not what it's all about. What it's all about is inspiring them to learn and helping them and coaching them to, to learn more and exploring the territory more as a coach than a, than a teacher. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And that's such a refreshing way to think about it. Well, we learned that lesson the hard way in the forest service where we thought, we do an accident investigation, and as, as the investigators, we were suddenly imbued with all the knowledge in the world, and then all we had to do is transmit that knowledge to the field, and the problems would go away. And boy, what a shock when we'd imbue our great knowledge, and they'd say, you guys are full of it. You guys are nuts. So in the Forest Service, we changed that model very radically and sort of said, well, learning should be in the hands of the learner. And I think this concept of respect for the learner has grown out of that. And um, just this last couple of semesters, not just the COVID semester, as I call it, but a couple even prior to that showed me that respecting the learners as professionals, because most of my students are professionals, as professionals in their trade and saying, you bring things to the table that are critically important to this conversation. And without you, we don't learn. Maybe that's what, what the eye opener was. And then certainly we all got hit like a on the back of the head with a two by four with with COVID. And if you're a professor in a program and you don't recognize that now, well, I think that that might contribute to why the universities are suffering the way they are, is that we just have a parochial view of, of how students should be interacted with. And given that, that as kind of a background, 
what opportunities do you see for kind of the new view moving forward in in this covid period because i'm guessing we're not done with this yeah i don't think we are i don't think we're done with it at all i think new view is more important than ever so new view one of the major premises as you know todd i don't have to tell you this but for the listeners who may not be familiar um is is kind of respecting what the worker brings to the to the system in the way of knowledge we've always thought that the knowledge resides with the worker that's one of the major constructs of the new view from from the very beginning you know whether it starts with decker's idea of the view from inside the tunnel or whether it transcends that and says okay we're in the tunnel all the time and maybe we need to get in the tunnel with them and figure out what it looks like from their perspective but again that harkens back to this idea of respecting them not only as the learners but as the teachers in the organization so the system is full of teachers and full of opportunities to learn so i think that COVID is kind of putting a highlighter on that major part of the new view. Um, how we do that changes what leaders are responsible for. So I think what we're gonna find out is that where we thought that leaders were responsible for creating culture, we're gonna find out that leaders are responsible for co-creating a culture, for influencing that culture in positive ways. And that that's, that influence is very different depending on the type of uh, work environment that you're in. So, for example, some some cultures are they emphasize the idea of following rules, regulations, policies, and procedures. Well, that works as long as the system continuously delivers the expected. So, in a very predictable system, that stuff works. But when we get to a complex system where there's uncertainty, and COVID is certainly showing us the uncertainties in our system, what's required there is is, is a different approach, a networking approach, a teaming approach, as, as Amy Edmondson would say. But the idea of bringing cognitive diversity to bear, to make sense of the new information, to learn in the moment, and to create innovations. And we've all seen this in the medical industry, the innovations that they've come up with to deal with COVID. And we've also seen the reduction in rules. So I started looking at that, actually with two of my students, we started looking at the reductions in rules. And what we found is a, a, a correlation or a a trend, if you will, that the rules that were being eliminated were the rules that protected us from liability, which is really interesting. When you start to think about the first rules that go away, that we stop paying attention to, are the ones that protect us from liability, tells us that under greater threat, we're less worried about, about the external liability that we find through a legal interaction. And we're more concerned about the social liability and responsibility that we have to one another. So that I think is really super interesting. Um, that's something that I want to follow up on with whichever student walks through the door that's interested, because I think that there's a lot to be learned from what we've given up in terms of rules and how we're now approaching very new world with very different threats. Do you think those rules will come back? Uh, I think if we, if we allow them to, they will. And certainly there are groups uh, there are groups that want them to come back, right? So if, if I'm a litigious person by nature or if my, I make my, my, my living in litigation, I want those rules back. Um, if we take a look at, at the leadership of the country, if it remains litigious, if it remains in that legal framework, it'll come back. But if we can see new leaders rising who understand the social need 
for understanding, respect, uh, for communication, to try and learn from events as opposed to litigate events. What's been the most interesting thing? The most interesting thing. Um, I, I think the most troubling thing has been the, politic- the, the, the way it's been politicized. Um, the entire response to COVID has been politicized, and that, that's been the most painful thing, but not necessarily the most interesting thing. I think the toilet paper thing was quite in- interesting. In fact, if I, if I had a choice to title this particular episode, I think I'd title it Truth, Lies, and Toilet Paper. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> Consider it done. Because everything seems to circle around those things in COVID. The truth, which is subjective, the lies, which are also subjective, and the toilet paper thing, which is completely not subjective, but really ties back to something that is really a deep desire when people are faced with uncertainty. And that is to have something that is certain. At least, at least I know I have toilet paper. I have control over that. And so I guess the most interesting thing for me is this recognition for people, certainly my students, their recognition that they didn't have things under control that they thought were under control, that the whole concept of control has, has, has developed, developed a completely different meaning. So that part is really interesting for me. And then how they deal with that. So some of them were able to deal with it and embrace it and say, you know, okay, there are things outside my control. I can live with that. Others feel that there are things outside their control, so they have to grasp onto things that they can control and kind of force the situation back into, I guess, what they would, what they might even term as some some form of normalcy. And I I think that that is probably our most important takeaway is that normal is not normal. Normal's never been normal. It's kind of like when we average temperatures over 200 years and we're dealing with global warming, what the heck are we averaging? Maybe our averages should be over the last five years. Maybe normal and drift are normal things. And normal C is something that is a continuously moving pro- target. And we should get on board and accept that and grow with it as opposed to trying to fight it and return something to some other normal that we think should be the normal of today. And I think that that's probably my biggest takeaway. It's certainly reinforced by all the the forest, forest ecologists that I've hired over the years who've told me normal today is not the normal of yesterday. The world has changed in such a way that the trees themselves have changed. And what we have to recognize is that we as living organisms are a lot like those trees. We, we have to live in a, in a world of change and embrace it. Embrace change, don't fight it. Embrace change, don't fight it. Words to think about and live by. Thank you, Pop. Thank you, Ivan Papalini. That was a nice podcast. I like the birds and the crickets. I'm relatively certain he was playing those on tapes, but I liked them nonetheless. So that is the podcast for today. Enjoy this weekend. It's a long Memorial Weekend in the United States. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's important. And for goodness sakes, be safe. <laughs>